Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Julian Assange. I don't understand people who are defending him and claiming that this is a, a journalist or a media outlet and this is a First Amendment issue. It has nothing to do with the First Amendment. And the Department of Justice under President Trump has put together a short and strong charging document. What's he charged with? He's charged with conspiring to hack government computers uh, to gain access to top secret information. I don't know why this is a controversial issue. I understand there's some uh, kooks out there, the code pink libertarians, as well as the Marxist leftists as well as some conservative talk show hosts, are completely confused by all this. He agreed to assist Bradley Manning, what's her name now? Whatever. To crack uh, passwords to get into the U.S. government network. What is her name? Chelsea Manning. All right, whatever. And uh, Chelsea Manning should still be in prison for the rest of his or her life, as far as I'm concerned. That was a miscarriage of justice. But just because that's a miscarriage of justice doesn't mean Assange shouldn't spend a hell of a lot of time behind bars, too. It looks like he uh, he almost imprisoned himself in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Guy looks like he aged 50 years. So uh, they conspired which would have allowed Manning to log into the network, our network, our government network, U.S. Army Intelligence, uh, to avoid detention. Now, I think we should dissuade such things, don't you, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, I do. So these guys do this sort of thing, and they, they claim they're protected by the First Amendment and so forth. If the New York Times did this, I'd say the same thing, throw the damn book at them. Book ought to be thrown at all these people. They're not being charged for what they said or what they posted or what they wrote. They're being charged for, look at it this way, breaking and entering, but on a much bigger scale. How can you not charge them? And I'm not taking calls on this. To me, this is, uh, you know, if people want to debate this, they can debate it elsewhere. To me, this is a, uh, a, a phony hero. A phony hero. I don't even care what he has to say. Doesn't even bother me. So I don't see the free speech, First Amendment defense when that's not what he's being charged with. He's being charged with effectively conspiring to break and enter. Look at it that way. All right, done. Done with it. I'm Chuck Todd. No deniers. Done with it. All right, just kidding.
Man, there's a whole lot of stuff to discuss today, which means I'll overlook a lot of the static and get into what I think uh, what is, is important. And this is what you have to do when you read newspapers and you go online and you watch the news. You can't let that drive your own reality. Now, sometimes there's issues, obviously, out there that we need to embrace and confront and deal with. Got it. But it shouldn't drive an entire host's career, and it shouldn't drive an entire program. I'll give you a perfect example. There's a great piece at theconversation.com. A great piece. And the title of this piece is Fox News Isn't the Problem. It's the media's obsession with Fox News. Now, you and I have been talking about this. It's amazing how many other media outlets write stories, and more than once, about Fox. It's amazing how it is attacked relentlessly on CNN and MSNBC and on network programs. And why is that? As we've discussed... It's a tiny percentage, that that is its audience, you, many of you, a tiny percentage of the overall population in the country. And it's a relatively small news platform. And so this fellow, Michael Succolo, he writes, the American press seems fixated on Fox News and its owners, the Murdoch family. We're going to talk about why in a minute. Recently, the New York Times purported to explain how Rupert Murdoch's empire of influence remade the world, quote-unquote. This followed the New Yorker's investigation into, quote, the making of the Fox News White House, unquote. Both articles claim to reveal the true political impact of Fox News and patriarch Rupert Murdoch over contemporary politics. And by the way, you will never see articles from the New York Times or the New Yorker or any of those, those sort of platforms about who runs MSNBC, who runs NBC, who's the Svengali behind ABC and CBS, or CNN, or any of the rest of it. You'll never see it. Because Fox News is different. As the Shorenstein Center said at Harvard, it's 52-48% negative on Trump. But most of the other outlets that they looked at were 70-80-90% negative on Trump. And they effectively said they've never seen anything like it before. The problem isn't that Fox is conservative. You know many of the news reporters there are quite liberal. The problem for the left is that Fox News isn't wholly on the left. So uh, both articles would have delighted the late Roger Ailes, the founder of Fox News, The pugnacious Ailes fostered a Fox News brand identity that continues to be reaffirmed by the respectable press years after his death. Fox News Ailes claimed would always remain the underdog and be forever denigrated by mainstream rivals. Though Ailes was fired when credible accusations of sex assault emerged, I'm just reading the article, the current Fox News lineup reflects much of Ailes' original vision. And it goes on. The idea that Fox News' power emerges from an unprecedentedly close relationship with the Trump administration falls apart under scrutiny. Let's begin with the idea that Trump's 2016 victory can be attributed to Fox News. Such an assertion would be a lot more believable if Rupert Murdoch and Roger Ailes had wanted Donald Trump to be the 2016 Republican nominee. They both didn't. 
Both the New York Times and New Yorker pieces admit this. So rather than put Trump in the White House, Ailes and Murdoch were unable to stop Republicans from voting for him. But this failure to persuade Republicans in 2016 isn't really a surprise. Let's look at the record. In 2008, the channel promoted other candidates, but Republican voters selected John McCain. McCain returned the antipathy, calling himself a Reagan Republican, not a talk radio or Fox News Republican. He wasn't much of a Republican, period, of course. Similarly, in 2012, Mitt Romney won the Republican nomination, despite not being supported by Fox News' management. Those who point to Fox's kingmaking power seem to have forgotten that Rupert Murdoch strongly promoted Rick Santorum that year. Neither the Times nor the New Yorker explain these failures, yet they are unquestionably relevant to an assessment of the influential power of Fox. And by the way, I'm reading this not to put down Fox, but to put it in perspective how Fox is being attacked, attacked, attacked. Neither the Times nor the New Yorker explain these failures. The numerous scholars, so-called, who argue that Fox News is a critically important actor in American politics that's actively reshaping American public opinion also downplay many Fox News failures. Journalists and scholars underplay the reality of Fox News' as relatively small audience. On an average night in 2018, Fox News attracted about 2.4 million primetime viewers. That's an impressive number. It made Fox News the most watched cable television program in 2018. But the U.S. population in 2018 was approximately 327 million, which means that 99.3% of Americans weren't watching Fox on any given night. About 26% of registered voters are either registered Republicans or identify as Republican, and in 2018 there were an estimated 158 million registered voters. So on a typical night in 2018, even if every Fox News viewer were a registered Republican, and they're not, 94.2% of Republicans in the U.S. still wouldn't be tuning in. By the way, I'm going to explain a fallacy in this article in a minute. Then there's the idea that the real power of Fox News originates in its uniquely close relationship to the Trump administration. For, uh, let's see, there's a long history of tight entanglement between broadcast corporations and the White House with numerous examples of the same kinds of backroom deals that are likely occurring now. For example, a historian, David Colbert, revealed when President Roosevelt wanted his most vociferous broadcast critic, a CBS commentator named Bo Carter, removed from the American airwaves, he simply had his press secretary instruct Carter's sponsor and network to cancel the program. As for the documented relationships between corporate media and presidential administrations, it's likely that no administration will ever top Lyndon Johnson's. Johnson's political rise was fueled by revenue from KTBC in Austin, Texas. While serving in Congress, Johnson placed the station's license in his wife's name while pressuring CBS for a lucrative affiliation contract. Frank Stanton, the CBS executive who later became a lifelong friend, cemented the business deal. And Stanton later became president of CBS when Johnson ascended to the White House. The two regularly conferred. And in one conversation recorded on February 6, 1964, Stanton, the head of CBS, advises President Johnson on an upcoming meeting with the New York Times editorial board. But their conversation wasn't limited to journalism. What do you think about the Republican candidates for 1964? What are they doing? Are they making any headway, Johnson asked him. I don't think they're making any headway at all, the president of CBS tells the president of the United States. 
It's likely that similar conversations now regularly occur between Trump and, say, Fox News figures. But since this type of communication has happened previously, it cannot be called unprecedented. Unprecedented. So he goes on. His point is, I don't know if he likes Fox or not. His point is, these attacks on Fox are really over the top. These attacks on Fox are really over the top. These attacks on some of the friendships that exist between some people at Fox and the president, these attacks are really over the top. So why are they attacking Fox? Anybody know? We talked about this. They cannot tolerate any, any divergent views, period. This is the progressive mindset. They cannot tolerate debate. You must be racist. They cannot tolerate intellectual diversity. Instead, they try to destroy you. That's what's going on. You have other media outlets trying to destroy Fox News. They'll go after their executives. They'll go after certain uh, hosts. They'll boycott them. They'll go after their advertisers. They'll denounce them. If certain news people conduct themselves in a way that CNN and MSNBC and the other media want, they'll be praised by that very media. Well, at least the news guys aren't like, you know, the prime time guys, that sort of stuff. And sometimes they fall for it. That's why this is not a free press. It is an unfree press. And what's taking place in this country is a monopolization, a consolidation of ideology in these various, particularly national news organizations. That becomes propaganda, not press. That becomes propaganda, not news. That becomes propaganda, not the objective truth. And that's what you saw yesterday and today with the so-called reporting on Bill Barr. That's why you see them consulting with Democrats and Comey and and uh, others uh, for the purpose of uh, advancing an agenda and advancing an ideology. These attacks on Fox are intended to destroy Fox, just like the attacks on conservative talk radio have been in an attempt to destroy conservative talk radio. This is the totalitarian mindset of the progressive left, which, of course, is reflected in our media. And it is a big problem. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound 
to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community helps students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. This whole collusion thing, this whole collusion thing, this fabrication, manufactured by the Clinton campaign, the DNC, and the Obama government, was intended to do what? It was intended to delegitimize Donald Trump's campaign, and should he get elected president, to delegitimize his presidency. That's why they won't let it go. That's why they're attacking Bill Barr. That's why I attacked Bill Barr's letter. That's why they demand everything in the report that they don't have a right to. By hook or by crook, collusion is about trying to delegitimize Donald Trump and his presidency and Trump knows it and the media are all in and the media have been all in and I challenge you I challenge you to tell the difference on MSNBC between the news people and the opinion people I challenge you on CNN to tell me the difference between the news people and the opinion people. It's almost impossible. When you look now at the pages of the New York Times, the pages of the New York Times are filled with editorials set forth as news. Same with the Washington Post. They should at least have the honesty of the party press of the early part of the 1800s. The latter part of the 1790s, the early part of the 1800s, into really the early 1860s. They should at least have the honesty, the integrity of the party press to label themselves. But they don't even have that. On the one hand, they pretend that they bring you the objective truth as news. On the other hand, they're totally out of the closet as aggressive, progressive Democrats. Quite remarkable. And they don't flinch. There's no circumspection whatsoever. No reformation whatsoever. When you consider all the news stories that they got wrong, virtually every major news outlet. Who's been fired? Three guys were fired at CNN because they were threatened with a lawsuit by Scaramucci. But who else has been fired as a result of Inaccurate reporting. Nobody, to my knowledge. In fact, the, the executives of these so-called newsrooms are praising the reporting from the New York Times to CNN. Meanwhile, they keep attacking Fox News. I'll be right back. Have you ever wished you knew more about how politics and our Constitution work? Could you explain the key differences between capitalism and socialism? Wish you knew more about American history? Well, I have good news for you. 
It's not too late to learn no matter how busy you are or how long it's been since you've been in college or high school. And you can do it for free. Because my friends at Hillsdale College, as a service to our country, have free online courses that provide a taste of the core curriculum that every Hillsdale College student takes. The core that teaches us how to think critically and act virtuously. And it can help you, too. Getting started is very simple. Just sign up for one or more of Hillsdale's most popular online courses for free. And you can learn whenever you like. Visit online.hillsdale.edu right now. That's online.hillsdale.edu. Join right now and you'll be on your way to a rich, meaningful education. Again, that's online.hillsdale.edu. Levin, the voice the liberals want to silence. But you can talk to Mark at 877-381-3811. I think some of the radio I've been doing the last two or three weeks really has been some of the best radio that I've ever done anyway. We're taking on the uh, third rail, which is the press. Not at a surface level. But if you've been listening over the last two or three weeks, you can see how I am systematically unraveling pieces of it. And come May 21, uh, we will unleash my new book, Unfreedom of the Press, in which case it'll be a rather significant unraveling of what's taking place in the the, uh, fourth estate, which is acting as the fifth column. Uh, I can assure you that I will come under attack, and that's okay. We need to engage this debate. We reached out to Chuck Todd yesterday to have a debate on this program, and they haven't replied. So that could be the treatment, too, the silent treatment. But we we press ahead regardless. And here's the thing. If I don't do this, and if I don't do it this way, in a scholarly way, in a substantive way, in a serious way, again, not just surface-level hyperventilating, it's not going to get done because it won't happen on any other media platform, because virtually every other media platform is them. And so we have, again, legal analysts and judicial analysts who come to the defense of Assange, telling you that this is an issue of the First Amendment, freedom of the press, and it's no such thing. You do not have a First Amendment right to conspire to break in whether it's uh, the Army or any other intelligence databases, in order to get the information and puke it all over the screen. You just don't have that right. Otherwise, what's the purpose of having secret information? But let's continue. Got plenty of time to get into these other issues. Everybody races through them. We take our time. Because I feel what we address here is more important. And I, I I don't want to... Uh, one day when I retire, I don't want to look back and say, you know what, you got behind the microphone and you sound like every other parrot out there. It's going through websites. No, we're not doing that. You know, uh, this collusion thing in the press. One of the true journalists that exists today, there's a handful, John Solomon in the Hill. Solomon discovered that the dossier had been provided to the FBI by at least six different people with connections to the Hillary Clinton campaign. 
And information from the dossier, along with a news story planted by Christopher Steele with Yahoo reporter Michael Isakoff, was used by the FBI and the Department of Justice to expand a counterintelligence investigation aimed at the Trump campaign and businesses and to secure successive surveillance warrants the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act Court, the FISA Court. The FISA Court was never appropriately alerted to the funding source or purpose of the dossier, but several FBI agents involved in using the dossier were warned about its political nature. Ultimately, this and other events led to the appointment of Special Counsel Robert Mueller and the initiation of a criminal investigation, despite the fact there was no criminal basis justifying his appointment. This is in my new book. I'm just walking through. And incredibly, in a December 2018 podcast interview, Isakoff, the Yahoo reporter who broke the September 23, 2016 Steele dossier story, with co-author David Korn of Mother Jones, who's a leftist, and he fed a copy to the FBI, He said, when you actually get into the details of the Steele dossier, the specific allegations, we've not seen the evidence to support them. And in fact, there's good grounds to think that some of the more sensational allegations will never be proven and are likely false. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, the FBI used it. That's what Bill Barr means by whether or not the spying that took place had a legitimate basis. But so committed to this plot have been the media that they have actually played a role in the investigations. Something I talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's called public journalism or community journalism, social activism. You don't just report the facts. You have to move society. Now, in September this year, Solomon detailed a number of examples of media government collusion. And he said, from the beginning of this investigation, key figures involved in it have had extensive contacts with or connections to the media. Here's some examples. Fired FBI official Peter Stroke and his alleged paramour, former FBI lawyer Lisa Page, texted frequently about leaks in the media affecting their cases and even suggested the FBI was behind some of them. FBI Deputy Director McCabe was fired for lying about one media leak he authorized. The FBI security FISA warrant against Trump campaign advisor Carter Page in part by citing, as I said, Yahoo News article by Michael Isakob, which it turns out was based on a leak from the FBI's own informant in the case, Christopher Steele. The court that approved the surveillance warrant apparently was never told that the article was not independent corroboration, but rather circular intelligence from the poison steel tree. DOJ notes recently provided to Congress show one of the media leaks which, with which Steele was involved was considered by his boss, Fusion GBS founder Glenn Simpson, to be a Hail Mary to swing the election rather than to inform the FBI and the courts. <clears throat> That's the sort of biased evidence the FBI should askew, not embrace, of course. And Stroke's own FBI communications show the FBI, after firing Steele, continued to receive versions of his now infamous but still unverified dossier on alleged Trump collusion with Russia. One of those was delivered to the Bureau by Mother Jones magazine writer David Korn, who openly has opposed Trump's presidency. Now, how, what do we, so what does all this mean? The media, 
the mass media have crossed the line between reporting and activism, where they have, in fact, participation, participated in the promotion of events about which they then report. This is precisely the concern raised by those who question the wisdom of something called, as I just discussed, public journalism or social activism journalism. And I describe that in Chapter 1. And their progressive ideology and Democratic Party bias are in full bloom, as evidenced by their frenzied obsession with getting President Trump, and conversely, their disinterest and laxity, respecting the roles of the Clinton campaign and the DNC, as well as the part played by Obama, the Obama FBI, Department of Justice and Intelligence Agencies, to thwart the Trump campaign and presidency. And this has also led to newsrooms and journalists repeatedly dishing stories to the public that are erroneous or outright fabrications. Virtually every major news outlet is guilty, including the Associated Press, CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, McClatchy, NPR, etc. And the media are left with desperate efforts to invent even tenuous links to third parties as supposed evidence of Trump-Russia collusion and the latest shooter drop. Or they hype as evidence of Trump-related criminality or corruption, guilty pleas and convictions that have nothing to do with collusion or Trump. And indeed, faced with actual first-hand knowledge, even a confession of what is arguably the greatest act of political subversion perhaps in American history, by a cabal of, a cabal of federal bureaucrats seeking the removal of a recently elected sitting president whose campaign they sought to earlier sabotage. The media mostly celebrated the event and one of its primary architects, rather than deplore the conspiracy, led by Andrew McCabe, as the target was the President of the United States, Donald Trump. And they're still at it. Now the Democrats want his tax returns, and so do the media. And they're used to this, as we talked about the other day. They like using tax returns. There's a fairly long and yet interesting piece in The Atlantic by Shadidi Hamid, who works for the Liberal Brookings Institution, and he clearly does not like President Trump. But that's not the point. Even though his piece is laced with cheap shots against the president, even he points out that special counsel Mueller's inquiry into links between Russia and the president's campaign could have turned out so much worse for Donald Trump. It almost seems certain that it would, but it didn't. The end of the Mueller investigation has now made hollow the maximalist charges of collusion against Trump and his team. The collusion claim was an indirect or maybe direct way of saying that Donald Trump was illegitimately elected. And for Mueller's team to stop short of concluding that collusion had occurred then was the best possible result for American democracy. Citizens should be relieved, not disappointed, when the legitimacy of an election outcome is strengthened, however much we dislike them. But conspiracy with Russia wasn't the only thing that commentators, both liberals and never-Trump conservatives, got wrong. There was another related charge that was graver and in its face more implausible that Donald Trump would or could destroy American democracy. He would do so with the help of his Russian enablers. Here the two claims came together that the Russians wished to end the American experiment and that Trump provided the vehicle for their ambitious designs. This was part of a grand narrative 
But what if the narrative of American democracy under mortal threat, with or without Russian help, was fundamentally flawed from the very start? Talks about the New Yorker's Adam Gopnik. He wrote Hitler's Enablers in 1933. Yes, we should go there. This is, this is Gopnik. Instantly and often. Not to blacken our political opponents, but as a reminder that evil happens insidio- insidiously. And most often with people on the same side telling each other, well, he's not so bad, he's not so bad. In other words, comparing Trump to Hitler. Vox is Matt Y-G-L-E-S-I-A-S. You try it. He wrote in an article titled 2018 is the year that will decide if Trumpocracy replaces American democracy. That Trump has been extremely long on demagogic bluster, but rather conventional, if extremely right-wing in some respects on policy. But this is entirely typical. Even Adolf Hitler was dismissed by many as a buffoon. And it goes on and on with Krugman and the others. And he points out, even being a liberal at the Brookings Institution, not only wasn't there collusion and is he a legitimate president as much as he doesn't like it, these charges, these statements, these conclusions, these procrastinations that Donald Trump was going to destroy the American system of government were so over the top by scholars from Harvard, by writers from the New York Times, by people on cable and so forth and so on. So over the top that it's appalling, almost unconscionable. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, they don't even tap the brake. They're still at it. They're still at it. The media have become a very destructive force in this country. Not freedom of the press, but unfreedom of the press. This is our country. This is our Constitution. It's our First Amendment. Freedom of speech, freedom of the press, that belongs to us. The reason they're there in our governing document is for you and me, the American people. They're not there for Brian Stelter or Jake Tapper or Rachel Maddow or all the rest. They're there for you and me. And we have got to have this discussion in a serious and substantive way. And I know they'll try and shut me down. I don't give a damn. I've been doing this for too long. I do not cower in the face of tyranny, and I will not now. These people must be exposed, and they will be exposed. And I'll be right back. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. 
And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Primus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Primus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S, dot Hillsdale, dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. We still have our North Korean computer system, I understand. Meanwhile, ladies and gentlemen, through all this, Two of the newspapers, the New York Times and the Washington Post, won Pulitzer Prizes. And the media, of course, the rest of the media, defend them and say, look at the tremendous reporting. What were we supposed to do? Tell the truth. That's what you're supposed to do. You're not fooling anybody. Don't promote a false narrative that you've invested in because you're social activists. And so both 2019, uh, 2018 Pulitzer Prizes, even though so much of what they reported was either BS, inconsequential, pushing a narrative, you name it. And they relied most heavily on anonymous sources, and they're relied on more now than ever before. Than ever before. And there's a great critique of this, in Real Clear Investigations by Tom Kunz, who is the editor over there. It's too long. I commend it to you. But he has point after point after point, that is, fact after fact after fact, of how outrageous the reporting was. And yet they both are awarded this Pulitzer Prize. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Well, I've done a little bit of reconsideration here. And as I look over the various items I have prepared for you, I'm going to circle back. Why did the New York Times and the Washington Post get a shared or joint Pulitzer Prize? As Mr. Kuntz asks, or explains in the uh, Real Clear Investigation site. And he says here, what a difference a year makes with the announcement of the 2019 Pulitzer Prizes set for next Monday. Last year's award to the New York Times and Washington Post for Trump-Russia coverage is already looking like a crumpled first draft of history, lofting in a high arc to the dustbin. It's eclipsed by the double whammy of the special counsel's finding of no collusion with the Kremlin and Attorney General William Barr's disclosure this week that he'll investigate spying by federal authorities on the Trump campaign. Eclipsed, and how? 
But the deep flaws in this honored coverage, instrumental in pushing the collusion narrative, shouldn't be overlooked just because it's been overtaken by events. Or many journalists would prefer to move on because President Trump calls it fake news. The flaws reveal broader problems in reporting this continuing story and journalism in general. The prize went jointly to the two publications for 10 articles apiece reporting on Trump-Russia developments through most of 2017. Their heavy investment in shaping and advancing the collusion story is telegraphed by some of the headlines alone. Sessions spoke twice to Russian envoy. Emails disclosed Trump's son's glee at Russian offer. Trump reveals secret intelligence to Russians and so forth. This work is not comparable to earlier Pulitzer scandals that still haunt the Times, but in a way they're a lot worse because they generally reflect abuse of a widely accepted but problematic practice that the profession is unlikely to abandon. Anonymous sourcing. Anonymous sources are a necessary evil. They often allow journalists to report information they could not gather otherwise. But because their identities are shielded from readers who have no independent means of assessing their credibility or motives, news organizations must vet these sources rigorously and convey that they're not being used at the expense of a faithful presentation of facts. In the case of much of the Pulitzer-winning Trump-Russia work, anonymous sources were used with insufficient skepticism and a lack of caveats in the service of a credulous and disingenuous journalism of innuendo. The journalistic failures these articles reflect would be problematic even if special counsel Robert Mueller had made a case for collusion. His findings just make them all the more obvious. In the main... The honored, mostly multi-bylined articles are sourced to current and former officials, people with knowledge of, or or similar formulations. Sometimes a specific number of sources is given, but with few exceptions, there's little insight into who these people were beyond the adjective senior or foreign to describe officials here and there. Rereading the stories, he says, I searched mostly in vain for answers to these questions. Which government departments did the sources work for? What were their motivations? Were any of them seeking to deflect attention from their own failure to prevent Russian meddling in the 2016 campaign? How many were current and how many are former, uh, that is, Obama administration officials? Were any of them connected to former high-ranking officials who publicly and profitably turned against Trump? Men such as James Comey, the FBI, John Brennan, the CIA, James Clapper, the former director of national intelligence. For that matter... Were those high-profile men also serving as anonymous sources? And a problem little discussed in journalism, could the same people have been sources for multiple stories, creating a distorted, snowballing impression of major wrongdoing? Just as important, apart from the White House denials of allegations, he says, I usually searched in vain for voices both inside and outside the government who dissented from the dark interpretations that were offered. The work's shortcomings become clear in the Pulitzer-winning articles on two members of Trump team, two published by the Post at the beginning of 2017 on the president's first national security advisor, General Michael Flynn, and one published by the Times at the end of the year on campaign advisor George Papadopoulos. Both men pleaded guilty under pressure to so-called process crimes of lying to investigators, not for conspiring with Russians, 
The Washington Post, two February 2017 articles on Flynn totaling more than 3,300 words, read then as now as though the paper were drawing a bead on a treason story for the ages. They quote anonymous sources, quote, current and former U.S. officials, some senior U.S. officials, unquote, inviting the worst possible interpretations from, from Flynn's contacts with Russians and his misstatements about them. A central premise of the story is that Acting Attorney General Sally Yates felt the 1799 Logan Act was a good reason to raise alarms about Flynn, should have provided a strong tip-off that the sources might have been politically driven. Democratic Party partisans had long knives out for the maverick ex-general, whom President Obama had forced to resign as Director of Defense Intelligence Agency. But all that context is missing, as the Post presents a, at length, with grave seriousness and little skepticism, deep official suspicion seemingly of Flynn's every recent move. He's flouting the, old, the Logan Act, that the Logan Act is a moldering, never-used statute against private diplomacy, routinely honored in the breach, and almost certainly not applicable to members of an incoming administration. It's referred to only as a challenge to be overcome in nailing the guy. A similar lack of skepticism drove much of the Trump-Russia coverage in which the president's allies were cast as nefarious operatives and the president's enemies as high-minded protectors of the nation. And this mindset led the Washington Post and the New York Times and other outlets to push the collusion narrative while ignoring or downplaying unprecedented scandals that led to the removal or demotion of top officials at the Department of Justice and FBI who led the Russia investigation. Emailed with an interview request, Washington Post executive editor Marty Barron sent back a stock defense of the post-Trump-Russia work through a spokesperson. Our reporting never presupposed that the special counsel would conclude with regard to obstruction of justice or an actual conspiracy with the Russian, it reads. The Times, where I worked for a long time, he writes, did not respond to emailed interview requests. Now, one might chalk up the failures of the Flynn coverage as one-off in the fast-moving early days of the Trump administration before major questions had emerged. But as doubts grew about the two newspapers' coverage and what their anonymous sources were telling them, the Post and the Times just doubled down on the collusion narrative. This is another peril of using anonymous sources, especially for a major ongoing story. Reporters can come to identify with and feel they're working with those sources. Now, unless the reporters betray sources they are promised to protect, or the sources release them from their packs of confidentiality. The New York Times and the Washington Post will be hard-pressed to explain how and why they misrepresented a story of historic import. And with such misrepresentation in mind, consider the brand-new origin story for the Trump-Russia probe that the Times broke on December 13, excuse me, December 31, 2017. Coincidentally, the publication cutoff date for the 2018 Pulitzer consideration. And the timing is key for another reason, more important reason. Until then, it was widely believed that the main impetus behind the Trump-Russia probe had been the so-called Steele dossier. But the FBI had used it to secure a warrant to spy on the Trump campaign and his aide and the aide Carter Page. Revelations in late October that Clinton campaign had funded the dossier, whose main claims had never been verified, Raise new questions about the probe. Cue the new origin story starring George Papadopoulos. Right at this time of doubt, 
Four current, quote, four current and former American foreign officials, unquote, were suddenly telling the Times that the collusion probe was sparked not by the dossier, but by the loose lips of the junior Trump campaign foreign uh, affairs advisor during a night of heavy drinking in London with a senior Australian diplomat. Papadopoulos told the diplomat Alexander Downer in May 2016 that Russia, as the Times put it, had political dirt on Hillary Clinton. And in the next paragraph, the Times article connected that to her missing emails. But the powers of deduction at the paper went only so far and in only one direction. The Times reporter's email insight did not prompt them to raise in their story the issue of Hillary Clinton's illegal use of the private server. If the government believed Russia or other foreign countries had access to Clinton's unsecured emails while she served as Secretary of State, why didn't the Times story address whether the political dirt on Hillary Clinton, quote-unquote, compromised national security or opened up her up to blackmail? Similarly, the so-called dirt revolution, uh, uh, revelation did not lead the paper to question FBI Director Comey's public exoneration of Clinton in July 2016 over the email affair. Said the Times article left the very strong impression that the man who supposedly tipped off Papadopoulos about the emails, the Maltese academic Joseph Mifsud, was working for the Russians, even though his ties to Western intelligence were well known. Cryptically, the Times suggested that Downer might have been fishing for information from Papadopoulos without asking why or for whom. It also did not report that Downer had long ties to the Clinton Foundation. And it goes on. This is a brutal undressing of the coverage of the New York Times and the Washington Post on those 10 articles, 10 each, 20 articles, for which they received a joint Pulitzer Prize. Just a brutal undressing of them. And, of course, we link to all these sources, and we place them on my radio website, marklevinshow.com, because I don't believe in plagiarism, and I... I believe in giving credit where credit is due, as you'll see in my new book on freedom of the press with over 400 endnotes. We're starting to get to these people, ladies and gentlemen. We're starting to get to them. We're going to expose them. We're going to expose their history. We're going to expose their groupthink. We're going to expose what it is that they, they are trying to do. And I assure you, I will arm you with the information you need. Uh, to try and get our media back. We talk about getting our country back. Now we need to get our media back. We want to get our First Amendment back. We want to get our freedom of the press back from an unfree press. I'll be right back. Lovin. Michael Avenatti. Now what does he have to do with anything? Michael Avenatti appeared on CNN and MSNBC 108 times since March 7th and March 10th. A study by the publication, uh, let's see here, the attorney for adult film star Stormy Dan did 108 interviews on cable news outlets CNN and MSNBC since March 7th, according to an analysis by the conservative Washington Free Beacon. This is from last year. A study by the publication found the 47-year-old attorney has also appeared on broadcast network programs, including NBC's Megyn Kelly Today, 
Today, ABC's The View, Good Morning America, HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher, CBS Late Show with Stephen Colbert in 60 Minutes. Now, why? Why would this slip-and-fall lawyer be so interesting to the media? Why? Because he's trying to destroy the president through his client. Hey, let me put this microphone down before Mr. Producer takes my head off. There we go. Now, it's as if he never existed. CNN and MSNBC. I'm, I'm going to their judgment, ladies and gentlemen. You saw this jackass. He was everywhere. The things he was saying. He's planning to run for president of the United States. The media created him. He was a media creation. Stormy Daniels is a media creation. These are pseudo events. These non-disclosure agreements, these are pseudo-events in order to advance propaganda. People sign non-disclosure agreements. They're not campaign violations. You got this lawyer for a porn actress. He's all over TV. I had predicted, and I'm not in the prediction business, that Anderson Cooper on CNN, who interviewed Stormy Daniels, that he would go down in history as one of the biggest pathetic, phony journalists we've ever had. The problem is there's so many of them. So the media glums on to these people. And then promotes them, celebrates them. Now, there's no getting around this. Michael Avenatti was a creation of the media. And he's committed multiple acts of fraud against his partners, against his clients. Tries to shake down corporations. He came out of nowhere. And he was given a news platform. Predominantly at CNN and MSNBC. And they don't even give it a second thought. Michael Avenatti appeared on their program scores of times. And now we have this breaking news. He's accused of hiding $4 million settlement fee from a mentally ill paraplegic client. So he's charged again today. According to the L.A. Times, a grand jury indicted Avenatti on 36 counts of fraud, perjury, failure to pay taxes, embezzlement, and other financial crimes. The attorney is accused of stealing millions of dollars from five clients and used a tangled web of shell companies and bank accounts to cover up the theft. CNN loved this guy. At the same time, CNN was going after that kid From Covington, Kentucky. Remember? A white, Christian, pro-Trump, Catholic kid. That's why they went after him. According to the LA Times, 36 counts. Avenatti's being accused in part of hiding a multi-million dollar settlement from a client who was a mentally ill paraplegic on disability. Jeffrey Ernst Johnson was a mentally ill paraplegic on disability who won a $4 million settlement of a suit against Los Angeles County. The money was wired to Avenatti in January 2015, but he hid it from Johnson for years, according to the indictment. In 2017, Avenatti received $2.75 million in proceeds from another client's legal settlement. But concealed that, too, the indictment says. The next day, he put $2.5 million of that money into the purchase of a private jet for Passport 420 LLC, a company he effectively owned, according to prosecutors. You have people who set up these LLCs. That's fine. They're legal. 
their corporations, in order to protect themselves personally. But you can pierce the veil. Sometimes they try and put a fake management in front when they're really calling the shots in the back. And it's actually not that hard to pierce the veil through depositions and other forms of discovery. The maximum possible punishment for these alleged offenses upon conviction, the report said, is 335 years. Now, he was just charged in California, New York, California, for wire fraud, bank fraud, to embezzle a client's money for the purpose of paying off his debts. In New York, he's accused of trying to shake down, that is, extort Nike. Now, this was the media's favorite lawyer. Favorite lawyer. They have John Dean out there. They have Michael Cohen that they embraced. They embrace this guy. Absolutely unbelievable. Next thing you know, there'll be legal analysts like Jeffrey Tubin and uh, Dan Abrams. I'll be right back. This is Liberty's 911 Hotline. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Let me give you an example of what a fraud the Pulitzer Prize is today. You know, all the media want to be, uh, you know, hey, my Pulitzer Prize almost always goes to individuals on the left. Not always, but almost always. One of the uh, leading members of the Pulitzer Prize board that determines the uh, finalists and the winners is Eugene Robinson. He's a columnist, associate editor for the Washington Compost. You've seen him on the morning schmo and on MSLSD generally. He hates Donald Trump. Hates him. Absolutely hates him. Dana Kennedy, administrator, and uh, she is uh, at the Columbia University, <coughs> which is a crazy-ass university. Let's just be honest about it. As is the president of Columbia University, Lee Bollinger. Oh. Gail Collins, op-ed, op-ed columnist for the New York Slimes. You can see the great diversity here. Stephen Engelberg, editor-in-chief of ProPublica New York. ProPublica is as left as it comes. And there's others. Robert Blau, executive editor of Projects and Investigations, Bloomberg News. Nancy Barnes, senior vice president of news and editorial director, National Pubic Radio. You get the drift? Gee, how did the New York Times and the Washington Post get a Pulitzer for their 20 articles of BS on collusion, Russia, and Trump? Well, how do you think? Eugene Robinson among others. Look, I'd kill for his voice, be honest with you. But I'd put it to better use than he does, pushing the left-wing pablum that he does. So you see how, uh, how corrupt this whole thing is. Neil Brown, president, Pointer Institute for Media Studies, St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm just looking at the list here. So this is what you get. Aminda Marquis Gonzalez, Vice President, Executive Editor of the Miami Herald. 
Shouldn't you have individuals outside of the media, particularly these leftists and these left-wing media outlets who hate Trump, that are determining who wins the Pulitzer Prize? There's no way a Eugene Robinson or other leftists like him whatever, whatever, choose a finalist and a winner who, uh, who didn't hate Trump, who didn't push the collusion narrative. These are Pulitzer Prize-winning stories. Now, a recent study shows Americans are sleeping less than ever, even though lack of sleep ruins your performance and impacts your relationships. Well, I've got some good news, because how you sleep at night is all the folks over at Bowling Branch think about. They want you to get the best night's sleep possible. So they created the softest, most comfortable, 100% pure organic cotton sheets in the world. Hundreds of thousands of Americans sleep better thanks to Bowling Branch. From the signature soft sheets to the cozy throw blankets to their plush towels, they're designed with you and mine and made the right way, not the easy way. Now, how do I know this? We have their sheets, and they really are the best. And they want you to love your Bowling Branch purchase. And by the way, I know you will. But here's what they've done. They've done something nobody else does. They will give you a 30-day risk-free trial. Now, who gets a 30-day risk-free trial with sheets. Bowling Branch is offering you, my listeners, $50 off your first set of sheets, plus free shipping at bowlandbranch.com, but you have to use promo code MARK. So I want you to go to B-O-L-L and branch.com, code MARK, for $50 off. Bowlandbranch.com, promo code MARK. Mr. Producer... Who shall I speak to this evening? Who would be a good first call? WKRC Greg in Cincinnati, Ohio. Go. Mr. Levin, you are the best. It's a great honor to talk to you. Well, thank you, sir. I have a question. Uh, Who would you suggest for the special counsel? Because everybody's crooked out there, and I have no clue who would be a good person to put in that we can honestly trust unless you came out of retirement and you did it? <laughs> well, uh, no, I don't think I will. There's a couple great people who would be. Uh, Joe DeGeneva, I think he'd be a great special counsel. He's a former U.S. attorney, but there's a whole ton of people who could do it as far as I'm concerned. I wish you would do it. You would save the, you would save the world. Well, I'd certainly take the heat off Bill Barr, wouldn't I? You would. <laughs> We need another great mind like yourself. Maybe I would do it just for the hearings so I could duke it out with the liberal Democrats. But, you know, a lot of Republicans, too. And then when I'm done, the hearing's over, I can say, and I withdraw. All right, my friend. I appreciate your call, Greg. God bless you, buddy. Tom, Columbia, Maryland, uh, the great WMAL country. Go. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. You got it. I just wanted to touch upon something that you were talking about earlier about the Steele dossier mm-hmm. and about how the quote-unquote legitimacy of it was kind of established through this gross kind of circular reporting that was going on, how it was leaked, and then the FBI used those leaks to kind of take that to the FISA court and say, yeah, mm-hmm. see, there's That's reports right. on this. Mm-hmm. So this kind of lends to what I was thinking about these left-wing kooks, Schiff, Nadler, Swalwell, they're all over these left-wing shows talking about all this quote-unquote evidence that's hiding in plain sight. 
and then it just dawned on me. These idiots are probably talking about their own appearances on this show, on these shows, talking about this quote-unquote evidence. And, it, you know, I, I'm just a simple guy, just a, you know, simple blue-collar guy. So you think they're citing themselves? That's what I think. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I mean, pretty funny. It's probably right. All right, Tom, I appreciate it. I'll tell you guys a little story. I'll tell you. I mean, the, the fellow won't appreciate it. Many, many years ago, when MSNBC was actually a legitimate outlet, it hadn't decided to uh, go for the niche of left-wing lunatic kooks uh, that, that represent the base of the Democrat Party. But it was much more of a news organization. And they actually signed me up as a contributor for about a year. But I only lasted about six months because uh, Andrew Lack, who now uh, runs, I think, NBC, saw me in one appearance and was furious. He was very upset. And so they, uh, they put out the word that I wasn't to appear anymore. Yeah, that's what they do. And he's a left-wing kook, too. But anyway, so uh, I was in a debate on the Independent Council statute. And the host of the show was John Gibson. This is many years ago on MSNBC. And the individual I was debating happened to be a professor from Harvard by the name of Alan Dershowitz. Did you know this, Mr. Producer? You remember this? This long time ago, actually in the 1990s. And I was debating him, and it had to do with Clinton and everything else. Uh, and so he was talking about something related to the founders or the framers. I don't remember specifically. Wish we could find this. And um, I said, what, wh who are you citing exactly? What are you citing? And he was kind of shuffling around a little bit. I said, no, no, I don't understand. Who are you citing exactly? Because I don't remember this. So he cites his own book. And I don't say this to attack him. I actually kind of like him. I've never met him. I'm just, well, I have met him in passing. He's not, he doesn't much care for me. But anyway, uh, and I said, uh, well, Professor, we don't cite ourselves. We don't cite ourselves. We don't cite ourselves. We cite sources, maybe in our books, or sources we've considered. We don't cite ourselves for, uh, for authority in the middle of a debate with you, or a discussion with you. And uh, during the break, uh, John Gibson said to me, he said, you know, the professor wanted to leave. I told him he had to stay there, but he, he really wanted to leave. You got, you got to cool it with him. It had gotten a little hot. I said, I'm not cooling it with anybody. But that was the, uh, that's the little story. Anybody care? No, nobody cares. Mel, Tom's River, New Jersey on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hello. Hi, Mark. How are you? Very well. How are you? Good. This is my first time calling. I'm a young conservative woman. Um, Excellent. Living in South Jersey, probably the only conservative here. <laughs> well, I know where South Jersey is. I know where Tom's River is because okay. during the summers, we would spend much of our time in Atlantic City and Ventnor, which isn't exactly close to Tom's River, but I know where it is. Okay. I'm a little shy on the radio, but I just wanted to say about this um, Michael Avenatti guy. I think he's just the worst type of human being. Um, he He's getting what he deserves, and the media were just all over this guy like he was the next incoming. And I'm happy that 
he's going to go to jail soon. Let me ask you a question. The media. Don't you think they'd want to know a little bit about an individual that they're putting on the air dozens and dozens and dozens of dozens of time to attack the president of the United States? If they were really running legitimate newsrooms and they were really doing a legitimate job of determining who their guests are and so forth, rather than the outcome, that is, they knowing what these people are going to spew, knowing they're going to attack Trump, wouldn't a little bit of professionalism with some ethical standards have caused them to look a little bit into this guy's background? Mark, unfortunately, they don't care. Um, the other day, I tuned into CNN for like two minutes, and I think I lost some brain cells. Definitely. Um, <laughs> I think I, I really hope it gets better, but I, I honestly don't know if that's ever going to happen. That's why I listen to you, and I'm super happy that I listen to you every single morning. I'm actually Latina, and I absolutely love Mark Levin. Thank you. Well, you listen to the podcast, I guess. You know, my wife often listens to the podcast. She's a runner. Oh, and really? uh, Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes if she can't hear the show live, because yeah. she'll be upstairs or somewhere else or mm -hmm. a meeting or something, um, she'll listen to the podcast, or she'll want to hear it twice. All right, my friend. That wasn't Thank so you. bad. You call again. We appreciate it. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Remember that song, Brick House? I remember that song, Brick. I got something better. Brick House Nutrition. And my friends at Brickhouse Nutrition sent this note from one of my listeners. About a week ago, said my son got really sick. He was coughing, runny nose, just miserable. And after a few days of quiet, my wife got sick, still is, and now my daughter is as well. Everyone around me is hacking and sneezing. I'm just waiting for my turn, but for some reason it isn't happening. And now I think I know why. I'm the only one in my house taking Field of Greens every morning religiously. And hopefully I can get my wife on board before the big bug hits us. And thank Mark for telling me about Field of Greens, and you're much welcome, my friend. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is the easiest way to live a healthier life. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee, 100%, or your money back. So what do you have to lose? Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, promo code LEVIN, and get 15% off your first order with the promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com, promo code LEVIN. Now, let me tell you more. It includes organic strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, cranberry, pomegranate for antioxidant strength. It helps boost your met metabolism with organic ginger and green tea. And it helps boost immunity. Every morning, just take a sip with water, and it tastes really, really good. Look, if you don't like it, they've already told you. It's a 100% guarantee or your money back. 100% satisfaction or your money back. BrickHouseLevin.com, promo code LEVIN. I strongly encourage you to get it. All right. Let's see here. Hold on one second. Got it. All right. Let us go to Patrick, Germantown, Maryland, the great W-M-A-L. Go. 
Hey, Mark, I really enjoy your show, and I'm uh, really looking forward to reading some more of your books. Get a lot of information there, and just really Thank appreciate you. what you're doing. Uh, I just had a quick question. What would it take for like the minorities or population or uh, young black Americans like myself, what would it take for people to actually see past the smog and the smoke of the Democratic Party and the lies that they tell you constantly? What would it take to make uh, millennials or young uh, minorities start thinking for themselves and start, and start seeing what's actually going on and stop listening it's, to it's, like- it's not a question, in my view, of minorities thinking for themselves. It's a question of everybody thinking for themselves or himself or herself. Uh, I really believe this. And a part of the problem we have in this country is our educational system which promotes sort of this um, ideological monopoly, um, the kind that you're hearing in the media. We have an ideological monopoly in Hollywood, in the media, in our public schools, in our colleges and universities, in all our walks of life. The progressives have done a hell of a job in insinuating their ideology in all areas of life. And this is the way it is. This is the way they wanted it to be. It's true, the instrumentalities of government, the instrumentalities of the culture, more and more, and to a great extent already, have been devoured by this alien ideology that's been imported into our country from Germany, pretty much, with Hegel and Marx, but also Rousseau. So this is a problem. So it's not a question for me, anyway, what would it take for black people or minorities or, 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 or whomever to think for themselves. The issue is, what will it take for everybody to think for themselves? I do not think the left has respect for the people. I do not think the media have respect for the people. And as you'll learn when you read my book, Unfreedom of the Press, you'll see that over a 100 years ago, when the progressive movement really pushed its way into our culture in earnest uh, and hasn't left, in fact, it's, it's, it's almost like a cancer, it's like a poison, that... Uh, one of the things they, they insisted on conquering was the media. And one of the, the things they insisted is that people are just too busy or they're unwitting or they're not educated enough or they're not experienced enough. But the bottom line is we need elitists to interpret and digest the news and explain it to us. And I don't mean elitists in a good way. They mean progressives, people like them. And they've been self-righteous ever since. You can see it on TV. They're self-righteous. They're self-aggrandizing. They're very narcissistic. And you dare not criticize them. They're very thin-skinned. You criticize them, then according to them, you're attacking the First Amendment and the Constitution, which, of course, you're not. You're the one who believes in the First Amendment and the Constitution. So this is a long way of answering you, which is we need to address what's going on in our educational system. Maybe that'll be a book that I write one day. That's going to be a very tough project to really think through and analyze and so forth, but I think somebody has to do it. Uh, Same with the media. I'm just going to start to pick these topics that are very, very hard and to try to make them very understandable, try to unravel them, and try to present them in a way where we can start to, as you say, think for ourselves, among other things. I'll tell you what, don't hang up, Patrick. I want to send you a signed copy of Unfreedom of the Press when it comes out in a few weeks. Thank you, my friend. And all of you folks... I hope I have uh, given you enough of a taste, enough of a flavor of what's in this book, uh, which is an extraordinary amount of information, very concisely put, very plainly put, that will cause you to do a lot of thinking, a lot of engaging, and I hope a lot of advocacy. We'll see. But unless a ton of those books get out there, and I'm not kidding, 
unless there's a million out there and we're, we're million soldiers of thought and engagement with respect to what's taking place in the media in this country, it will have no effect. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Some important matters I'd like to get to. Ilhan Omar is not only an anti-Semite, she's anti-American. It's really bizarre. Having been a refugee in Somali, and her parents brought her, the rest of the family, to the United States, where they settled in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And she has nothing but absolute hate for this country. You know, as a recent immigrant here, nobody's forcing people to be here. If Somali's the place to be, if Somali's not an S-hole place, if it's just this wondrous place, then go to Somali. Somalia. Somali, Salami, Somalia, the Somali, Samita, whatever. Ilian Omar is at a care event. You probably heard this in Los Angeles on March 23rd. Now, this care, of course, I've told you before, is a Hamas front group. And Hamas is a Muslim Brotherhood offshoot. And very flippantly, she refers to 9-11. Cut 10, go. Far too long, we have lived with the discomfort of being a second-class citizen. Who has? Who lives with the discomfort in this country of being a second-class citizen? I'm quite serious about this. What is she talking about? These, these pathetic one-liners, they go on and go unchallenged. Go ahead. And frankly, I'm tired of it. And every oh. single... Go, go, go. This country should be tired of it. Care was founded after 9-11. Because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Some people did something. She can't bring herself to say that Islamists or fundamentalists did something. She can't even bring herself to say Al-Qaeda did something. Who were Muslims. She cannot bring herself to say that. And, of course, the did something was the worst terrorist attack in American history, killing almost 3,000 people. And none of us will ever forget that. But poor victimized Muslims in this country, because America is so bad that people escape from Somalia, they come to America, and all they are is victimized and second-class citizens. Now, Ms. Omar was not born in America. Her family chose to come to America. And what exactly has Ilhan Omar contributed to this society, other than ripping it constantly? Nothing. But Representative Rashida Talib, whose parents also came to this country, they're they're, uh, Palestinian Muslims, 
They came to this country by choice. And all she does is rip the country. But she came to the defense of Ilhan Omar in a way that you can expect. Cut 11, go. Do you think she should have rethought her words? Do you worry about the appropriateness of that? They do this all the time to us, especially women of color. Oh, I stop. They do this all the time to us, especially women of color. Do what? I don't understand this. I thought people wanted equality. If people say stupid things, they should be called on the carpet. Whether they're women or men, whether they're black or white, whether they're Jewish or Palestinian or Somalis or whatever. Is that not true? We're not supposed to treat people equally? No, no, you're doing it because of our race and our genitalia, especially women of color. I'm sick of that. What do you think of that? You're stupid, you're stupid. You're an anti-Semite, you're an anti-Semite. You hate your country, you hate your country. Pigmentation and genitalia have nothing to do with it. Go ahead. That They take our words out of context because they're afraid because we speak truth. We speak truth to power. No, you don't speak truth to power. You're an ignoramus. You don't speak truth. Oh, there's a, there's a line that hasn't been used to a. She's a walking, talking uh, uh, fortune cookie. This is a mistreatment of women of color uh, because she, we, speak truth to power. No, excuse me. I speak truth to power. You're a congresswoman. I'm just a radio host. Go ahead. Sister Ilhan Omar, she, what she was talking about Her was... Her sister, Ilhan Omar. Go ahead. It's in civil rights. She has all right, always... All right, you're stop, guys. Let's go back to the top of the clip. And start over. Go ahead. Do you think she should have rethought her words? Do you worry about the appropriateness of that? They do this all the time to us, especially women of color. They do that. They take our words out of context because they're afraid because we speak truth. We speak truth to power. My sister, Ilhan Omar, she what she was talking about was uplifting people by supporting their civil liberties and civil rights. No, no, no. uh, Slow down. You're not supporting anybody's civil liberties or civil rights. She dissed this country. She made light of the fact that we were attacked on 9-11. Why do you and your sister keep making excuses for each other? For what you actually say. We're not deaf. We heard what she said, and we don't need you as an interpreter either, Talib. Go ahead. Always, always condemned any strategy, especially if a person that's directly impacted by being a refugee herself. She sees what terrorism can do. She sees what violence can do. No, she doesn't. No, she apparently didn't. She apparently didn't learn a damn thing. Most people who come into this country, who leave war-torn countries, or terrorist countries, or who are refugees, appreciate this country except people who are fundamentalists. I don't know what her problem is, either of these women, with this country. Their families chose to come here. I don't know what their problem their problem is, but they have a problem. And I'm telling you what that problem is. It is hate. It's indoctrinated. At a young age, it's ideologically driven. It's a fundamentalism. 
This is a great free society. They were both elected to the United States House of Representatives. And they choose to use their positions to continue to advance their propaganda and trash this country. I've told you before, you can see when people trash Israel the way they do, not that we're one and the same, we're not, but the people trash Israel the way they do, they typically trash the United States too. Because of the shared values, the shared traditions, the shared principles. That's why. We have absolutely nothing in common with terrorists from Somali. Absolutely nothing in common with Palestinian terrorists. Absolutely nothing in common with any terrorists. Or people that breed terrorism. That is, ideologies and governments and so forth. Go ahead. Country to a whole people. Taking it out of context, this is just pure racist act by many of those, hateful acts by those, because she does speak truth when it talks about different issues that they don't disagree with. And I'm really outraged because as a person that has gotten direct... Okay, let me me tell you, I noticed they've been saying this a lot. They're getting death threats. I get death threats. Unfortunately, a lot of us in, uh, in public life get these threats. It's not fun. But that has nothing to do with what we're debating here. Nothing. Nothing. Go ahead. I know that her life is put in more danger. And I see her not just as my sister, Ilhan Omar, as a colleague, but I see her as a mother of three. uh, All right, that's enough. Notice she doesn't address it. Doesn't address what she said. Cut 12, go. Sounds like you're saying you don't think she should have rethought her words. You think her words are being taken out of context and you're, you're comfortable with what she said um, and not with the criticism she's receiving. Yeah, I'm not for policing people. You know, that's what they're doing to us women of color. I mean, think about it. What are you talking about? Policing people, women of color. Did you come to the defense of Candace Owens the other day? She's a woman of color. Did you? Talib, is she one of your sisters or no? You didn't come to her defense? Why not? You're a joke. Go ahead. Uh, they've never had two Muslim women. They've never had a Palestinian American. They've never had a woman that was Who a cares? Refugee. Who cares? Don't you understand you're undercutting your own point? You got elected to Congress. You're a Palestinian woman. Tell me, how many Jewish women get elected anywhere in the Muslim world to anything? How many Jewish women get elected in the Arab world, to anything. You're a Palestinian woman? You're proud of that? Well, how do they treat their women over there in the Middle East? And while we're at it, how do they treat Jewish women? How do they treat black Ethiopian Jews who go to Israel? They treat them as interlopers. The Palestinians do. So let's talk about that. You're a Palestinian-American woman in the United States. You're treated better here than you would ever be treated over there, which is why your family left there and came here. Two Muslim women. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, who is it that is slaughtering Muslims? Christians? No. Jews? No. Muslims are slaughtering Muslims. Can we talk about that? No, you're not allowed to talk about that. Well, why not? What's going on in Somali, Somalia? Muslims slaughtering Muslims. Let's talk about it. 
Now nah, she won't talk about it. Go ahead. I mean, these are real life, impactful stories that come with us because our lens is so different. You know, this is not just about a Congress that looks differently, but we serve differently and we talk about these issues differently. I'm but sorry our Congress looks differently. I'm sorry. Should we fix that? I mean, the body that's most directly elected by the American people is the House of Representatives, and it does look differently. There's a lot of white congressmen there. There's a lot of Christian congressmen there. And a lot of white Christian congressmen and congresswomen. And as a Jew, I can tell you that's one of the reasons why there's enormous tolerance in this country for all religions. Because Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, and so they've all gone through their own form of reformation. One religion that is not is Islam. In many respects, you have Muslims in this country who are great patriots like Zudi Jasser and many others. They understand this. They talk about the need for reformation. They explain it. And they are hated by people like Talib and Omar. Hated. That's right. This country looks very, very differently than do Palestinian areas in the Middle East. And despite the fact that this country looks very, very differently, you're welcome in this country and you are treated with respect despite your propaganda and your demagoguery. The same cannot be said in Gaza. The same cannot be said in Palestinian parts of Jerusalem and other parts of the world. The same cannot be said in many Muslim countries and Arab countries where women are abused and treated miserably. She doesn't even realize, even though she talks quickly, when you listen and break down what she has said, that she's condemning her own leftist mindset. Go ahead. That it just is not ready for people like us, real people. We're not ready for people like us. I mean, people of color, I think we're ready for people of color. You mean women, I think we're ready for women. What we're not ready for are haters, are anti-Semites. Frankly, fundamentalist Islamists. Nobody's ready for that. Nobody wants that. Muslims, yes. Fundamentalist Islamists, no. One more time, so I'm not misconstrued. Muslims, yes. Fundamentalist Islamists, no. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You folks get my point. My point is the criticisms that Talib make about this country are really quite outrageous. When people come into this country really as refugees or they escape the countries they're leaving from because of what takes place in their cultures, there ought to be some respect for this country. They do not treat women in the Muslim world, in big parts of the Muslim world, the way women are treated here, do they? Um, 
she's complaining. She's saying, look at Congress, look at Congress. Here we are, two Muslim women got elected. And yet, how many Christian women would get elected to anything in the Arab world or the Muslim world? That's my point. Or Jewish women? None. There used to be Christians throughout the Middle East. Now they're not. There used to be Jews in, in almost all these Arab countries. Almost, there's almost none. We are such a tolerant country, such a beneficent country. This constant talk about systemic racism. This is, this is where we always go when we want to engage people who are saying things that are absolutely outlandish. And Omar says a lot of outlandish things. Talib had a map of the Middle East in Israel where she used a yellow stickum to cover Israel or Jerusalem and to put Palestine on it. In other words, wiping out Israel. Now, to criticize her is not to criticize a Muslim. It's not to criticize a woman. It's not to criticize somebody of color. We're criticizing her. Her. And when you trash the United States constantly, constantly, when you when you portray the United States as something it is not, they ask why. What is it? What's the problem? When your family fled to come to this country, when your family fled to come to this country, why do you despise it so much? Why do you trash it so much? Why do you condemn it so much? And then when you're asked about it, or you're criticized for it, like the New York Post or other, or other papers and individuals have criticized what Omar said, and you're speaking at this group CARE, which is a radical group, uh, why do you immediately resort to, well, it's racism, it's anti-women, it's anti-Muslim? No, it's not. No, it's not. When you're going to say things this way, and you're going to say such outrageous things, it's America. You can expect to be challenged, whomever you are, and you will be challenged. And people are going to ask, why do you talk this way? What, wh- where does this come from? On the one hand, we're told people want to discuss this race and so forth. And on the other hand, you're immediately shut down. Anyway, I'll be right back. Going gets tough, but tough get Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Like nails on a chalkboard, it's tax season. If you have IRS debt, every tax ad you hear reminds you this could be the day the IRS nails you. You broke rule number one, don't mess with the IRS. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, even take your home. I'm going to give you my direct line to Optima Tax Relief, and it's just for you, my listeners, to ask them about the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. And if you qualify, you could save thousands, even tens of thousands. Nobody knows this program like Optima Tax Relief. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and they've solved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients. And they'll stand between you and the IRS and fight to get you the best deal possible. Call now to see if you qualify for the Fresh Start Initiative. 
800 If you're in trouble, my suggestion is don't wait. And if you know you're in trouble, but they haven't caught you yet, my suggestion is don't wait. Call Optima Tax Relief, 800-499-6300. All right. Well, let's see here. Do we want any more of these clips? Oh, these liberal clips. They'll, they'll cause you to go to the roof and jump off. I don't want any more clips. It's just day after day, the same clowns in Congress, the same clowns in the media. Let's take some calls. Steve Garner, Massachusetts, the great WGAW. Go. Mark, I've been listening to you ever since WABC when you were on, I guess, Sunday afternoons. 12 to 2, baby. You're right. Unbelievable. Thank you. Levinite for many, many years now. Thank you, sir. And thank God for you for doing what you're doing. But the woman that you had on, the congresswoman, the CARE was actually founded in June 1994. That would be Omar that that I played. Yeah, you're right. Not after 9-11. And you know what? Nobody's talked about that. Exactly. And she doesn't know what she's talking about, obviously. Well, and and it's, it's actually more than that. We know why CARE was founded. We've talked about it on this program for many, many years. It was founded uh, in Philadelphia in a, in a meeting that the FBI was actually uh, surveilling. Can we use that word? And uh, uh, it's, it was set up as, a, as, as an American front for Hamas-related and um, uh, Muslim Brotherhood-related uh, organizations overseas. And that's what it is. And it's and it's it's given a lot of uh, heft by the Democrat Party and the Obama administration. It was advising the Department of Justice, among other places. And uh, look, these these uh, individuals have to be called out and have to be exposed. Now, weren't they also on the Obama staff, too? That I don't know. Staff. I don't know. I think so. Well, I don't know who that was, though. All right, my friend. I appreciate it very, very much. Let us go to Candace, Dallas, Texas, the great WBAP. Go. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, congratulations on being a national treasure. Oh, jeez. Um, well, well thank you. Yeah. I can't. I have my phone on speaker. Is that okay? That's better what you're doing now. Thank you. Um, I, I can't wait to read on Freedom of the Press. It, um, it, uh, it's going to be so timely and it's going to be very important uh, right now thank you i i really think you're going to like it i think everybody in the audience is going to really uh it's an eye-opener we think we know everything about the press trust me we don't and i um i can't wait to read it my uh my question is a bit off of your topic but i've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks i would love for you to give us a historical perspective on the relationship between a president and his attorney general. I go back as far as Jack Kennedy's <clears throat> attorney general, who was his brother. Hmm. And there have been several, a little bit of research that I've done, where the, uh, uh, the attorney generals were close personal friends or had been in the campaign, generally a trusted um, person. Yeah, a lieutenant. You're, you're exactly right. Uh, you're and, right. John Kennedy had his brother. Lyndon Johnson had a friend of his who was very, very trusted. 
Uh, Nixon had Mitchell, who was a friend of his, and uh, I mean, you know, business friend or a, a lawyer friend of his. Uh, you can go down the list. Look at Obama. He had Eric Holder. They were very, very close. And, and yet I, Trump, Trump has Barr. He never even knew Barr. That's my point. It's, I, I never, it never occurred to me that there was ever any air between Eric Holder and President Obama or Loretta Lynch. And you remember President Eric Holder called him, him uh, or Obama called Eric Holder his wingman. Remember that? Yes, I do. Mm. And, and that's why it is so upsetting to have Democrats now referring to Attorney General Barr as in the bag for the president as if he is doing something wrong in the way Look, he- the, 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 the rules for radicals, Alinsky, has had an enormous strategic effect on the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party now is hard left, and they're an Alinskyite party. Uh, which uses his tactics. So Barr has to be destroyed. The president has to be destroyed. Anyone who gets in the way, any organization has to be destroyed. Fox has to be destroyed. You know, target it, personalize it, abuse it, character assassinate it, and that's what they do. They do it in Tommy Gun fashion. And and when you, I mean, I'm looking at this guy, Jeffrey Tubin. He's not a legal analyst. He's a Democrat. He's a hack. You can go right down this whole thing. Why is Eric Swalwell on TV all the time, even on five? Why is he on TV all the time? He's a gas bag. That's all he is. He's not particularly smart or anything of the sort. Joe Scarborough has a personal animus against Trump. He and his wife used to promote Trump all the time during the course of the Republican primaries. They were all friends. They got a kick out of him. Then they turned on Trump. Something happened personally, and every single day they use it as a personal platform, MSNBC, to trash the president of the United States. Uh, And you can see how the media chooses the people to promote you got uh, James Comey out there. James Comey is a disgruntled former FBI director who is a leaker. And yet there he is. You've got, uh, you got guys like Dean. Dean, uh, who was disbarred as a result of his activities in Watergate and so forth. Why is he a commentator on ethics, on Russia, and so forth on CNN? Uh, I can go, Carl Bernstein, it's clear that the guy is a buffoon. It's clear that he's a hack. It's clear he's not an investigative reporter. He barely was in the first place. He was basically holding Woodward's uh, briefcase. And there he is on TV. If you're selecting hosts like this and you're selecting guests like this, this isn't a media. This is a joke. Attorney General Barr, uh, somebody somebody said uh, just recently that I can't remember who it was, that it appears that he's going to be President Trump's attorney general, not attorney general for the people right. of this country. Mm-hmm. I heard it. Yeah. I, uh, that is, that's a stunning thing to say. I thought, I, I, that's why I wanted to see if, if you could give us any kind of perspective. Well, you just it. did, and I just did. All right, Candace, I appreciate your call. Excellent point. Let's go to Brian Baltimore, Maryland, on the Mark Levin app. Go right ahead. Hey, Mark, I just wanted to point out, um, you know, I'm a fireman, retired from Montgomery County. And uh, when Nohan Omar says some people did something on 9-11, you know, those people killed a whole lot of people, including 343 firemen, 412 emergency service personnel all total. And there's a whole lot of people dying from 9-11 illnesses and cancers still, you know, 18 years later. So to just blow this off and say, well, she didn't mean anything or this wasn't in this is a horrible slight, and this is a, it's a terrible thing to say and just blow off. It, her anti-Semitism is ridiculous. 
the way she t- talks about this country that accepted her as a refugee is ridiculous. And there's just no place for that. And I don't know why the House hasn't censured her. Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, because there's a, well, there's a significant part of the Democrat Party that agrees with her, and they dare not challenge her. Yeah, and I understand that why, you know, we know the why behind. But, why. but you really do have to wonder why the media have been so silent for the most part. Uh, they barely even talk about it. And then they give this Toledi uh, the opportunity to, to, to really triple down on what Omar said. Thanks, Brian, for your call. Appreciate it, buddy. Let us go to Beverly, Arlington, Texas, the great WBAP. Go. Go ahead, Beverly. Hello. Yes. I'm a retired teacher. I taught in Arlington, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years before I retired in 2010, they, the administration decided that we were going to have uh, uh, meetings after school to learn about the CARE program. Mm-hmm. And none of us knew what it was. I don't even think my principal knew what it was. But immediately, it was just giving me the creeps. But mm-hmm. one thing that they did that really just ticked me off was, um, we all know what the golden rule is. Mm-hmm. Well, they were wanting us to learn the platinum rule. And that is, treat other people the way they want to be treated. And... Uh, <laughs> Years later, I, not a couple of years later, I talked to a friend about, I said, did that not bother you? And she goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I said, everyone in our school district had to take this program. I said, there is something fishy about it. And well, well let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just say this. This is part of the problem. What happens is these, these left-wing groups and their ideology, and this isn't the only one, uh, are used in the classroom, in our public school system. They're used on teachers, they're used on administrators, they're used on students. And again, this goes back 100 years to the progressive movement and social activism that you see in the media today. They they are everywhere. And uh, this isn't a conspiracy thing. It's not a paranoid thing. It just is true. And you don't see conservatism everywhere. You see it in less and less places. Thank you for your call, Beverly. We'll be right back. By the way, Mike Lindell, Mr. Pillow of My Pillow, will be my Sunday guest on Life, Liberty, and Levin, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. On the Fox News Channel, we're not talking about pillows or bedding or anything of the sort. He's a fascinating man with a fascinating history. And I think you're really going to enjoy the interview. Do you wish that double chin would just disappear? Are those bags and puffiness getting a little worse every day? Well, here's Robin from Lubbock, Texas. I put that jawline cream on my neckline two or three days ago. That's the best my neck has looked in a... 20 years. Several people told me my face looks young. I'm blown away. Now, folks, with Genesel's natural actives and pure antioxidant base with no chemical scents and no pharmaceutical preservatives, it's the clean luxury your skin deserves every day. Click or call right now, and the Genesel Jawline Treatment is yours absolutely free. 
just for ordering the classic Genesel plant stem cell therapy for bags and puffiness. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. Genesel works for men and women and for results in 12 hours or less. And the Genesel immediate effects is also included for free. Call now and get free three-day shipping. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. If you've thought about doing this, jump in. Jump in and do it. There's no risk. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. You know, that's the way I feel about things. Go ahead and try it. I don't mean, you know, illegal things or immoral things. I mean normal things. Just go ahead and try it. Or you'll never get anywhere. Anthony, Queens, New York, Sirius Satellite. How are you, sir? How are you, sir? It's okay. always a pleasure to talk to you, to hear your voice, especially on that podcast. Um, Thank you. Mark, I, I, my wife has uh, seven firefighters in her family, mm-hmm. and I find it disgusting that Miss Omar would say some people did something on 9-11. Um, at the time, I remember them going to more funerals than they ever had a nightmare of going to. And I find it absolutely repulsive that she's not being chastised the way she should by the media. And one other thing. And, and, and she's being defended by her sister, she calls her, uh, because she's being attacked because she's Muslim and a woman and a person of color. Now, have you ever heard anything so stupid? No. I mean, all three of them, it's, it's dumb, dumber, and dumbest. Right? Every mm-hmm. time they open up their mouth, they, you, you wish you, 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 you could stop listening to them. But the other thing I wanted to mention to you, Mark, is... This president has done more for Israel than anybody I can remember since Reagan. And the fact that they always chastise him, saying this, that, and the other thing, I would just hope that the Jewish people finally see the light and see what this guy is doing for Israel. And I, I hope so, to- too. But, you know, uh, the problem is this. Uh, for, for a lot of Jewish people who are more secular than they are religious, just like some Catholic people are more secular than they are religious, and they vote for Cuomo despite his crazy ideas, and more than crazy, his deadly ideas, uh, it's tough. It's tough to break that cultural barrier. It really is. Uh, but I get your point. And, you know, look, look at Obama. Obama was hostile to Israel. Just openly hostile. Look at this guy that runs the Anti-Defamation League. He was a special assistant to Obama. I think his name is Greenblatt. Complete jackass. And you would think that the media would only would, would mention how Obama tried to meddle in the Israeli election. Never. Never. And if I didn't start mentioning that over and over and over again when this Russia stuff started, nobody would have mentioned it. Hey, I just want to thank you for the guys that are in law enforcement. You always make us proud when you mention us. So, and the firefighters who are married to my family, you know, I, I, again, they're, they're, they're great heroes as well. So I just want to make sure that people know what she said was disgusting. It wasn't some people. It was Islamic radical terrorists that did what they did. All Thank right, you, buddy. Peter. Thank you. God bless you all. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. Let us go to John, Tampa, Florida. I just lost my, there it is. The great WHNZ. Go. Yep. So we all know the Mueller investigation was a complete farce. It was funded by Democrats. It was led by 12 angry Well, Democrats. the Mueller investigation wasn't funded by Democrats. You mean right. the dossier? So, g- given that this Mueller investigation should have never happened and, and that the report should not even exist, 
then why are we re- okay with releasing the thing? Well, I'm not, but, but Barr is going to do his redactions and release it because he promised to do it. Yeah, I think but, it would but, been- but here's the deal. With any pseudo-event, it's not going to be enough, is it? Absolutely not. What are they going to say? Well, he covered up, he redacted. We needed more stuff. Yep, I think it would have been great not to issue it. Let the Democrats complain for 24-7, and then that's great because they're not governing. Because when they govern, it's awful. So Mm -hmm. that that would have been my utopia. Anyway, thanks thanks for the time, Mark. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. Let's see here. Hold on one second. Mike! Corning, New York, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? How are we doing, Mark? Thanks for taking my call. You bet. A quick question. I know we're running out of time here. Um, This whole uh, uh, collusion thing, I I was just thinking I'd love your opinion. You know, I think the inspector general and the attorney general are going to get to the bottom of this, and, uh, you know, they're going to unmask a massive web. And and I'm I'm curious. Uh, I mean, I think uh, while these attacks on Barr are intended to uh, deter him from doing that, by the way. Anyway, go ahead. No question about it. Um, but I'm curious to know is when they when they figure out what, what, you know how how far this web really goes. Uh, do you think there's going to be a, a few a few members of the press that are more than just useful idiots pushing a narrative, but are knowing uh, knowingly complicit? Wouldn't that be fun to find out? We already know a bunch of them who are. But wouldn't that be fun to find out? Well, I don't know the extent that we'll find that out, but. Uh, Maybe 50 years from now, somebody will look back and write on it, but I don't know. But it's a good point, Mike. Appreciate your call. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all state, local, and federal law enforcement, all you heroes out there. Don't forget, go to Amazon.com. My brand-new book is there, ready to be pre-ordered, 40% off, Unfreedom of the Press. God bless you all. Check out Levin TV, and I'll see you tomorrow. 